one and all to I Got Lucky with King's Eyes, a show so epic Steven Spielberg is quoted for saying, I admit defeat. I am a constipated content creator, a less than studious student, but for tonight I am your host, King's Eyes. Hope you all had a good day, some good food, and a bit of good luck while you're at it. The wonderful intro song you heard is a clip brought to you by Wax and his song Home is Where the Bar Is off of his most recent album B-A-A-A, the official anthem of the show. On today's show, I talk about food poisoning, I talk about Trump and COVID, I also make a mention of one uh, Swedish content creator with 100 million subs and how I'm envious, not of his content creation and his 100 million subs, something else. I talk about developments on the website, I talk about uh, Hyrule Warriors, the new Smash Fighter, I talk about Sebastian Loeb, uh, Petter Solberg and Andreas Mikkelsen, I talk about Cody Rhodes returning to the wrestling ring, I talk about and do a, a long anecdote on pro wrestling fans, and at the very end I have a, a little a bit of a... Um, uh, a bit of an announcement to make, which I think might be interesting to some of the listeners that have been with me long term. So strap on in, grab a cold beer or beverage of choice, listen to some stories from this past week, and have yourself a good Friday. Before we get really into it, though, a quick word from our core sponsor that makes this show possible every week, King Styles Apparel. Now, King Styles Apparel uh, is obviously the the brand that follows along with everything we do in terms of content creation on kingsize.life. Particularly lately, it's been following along with the developments of uh, Sigil Arts and that whole pro that whole property. So there is a new collection. It's called just Flat Out Sigil Arts, and it um, does like t-shirts and other merchandise with the cover arts for various podcasts. It does um, fantastic new premium hoodies, which... I've been trialing and testing for about a month. I live in that thing. It's amazing. Um, there's also um, a new t-shirt from the Failure Wear collection. It's called the Church of Frog Ninja. If you're curious what the hell a frog ninja is or why the the shirt is the Church of Frog Ninja, you should go and listen to the most recent You Have Failed episode. But do that after listening to this episode, clearly. There's other things on there. There's new phone covers. There's more, more t-shirts. There's jogging bottoms. There are face masks. Uh, there are a smandering of new stickers. There's a new statement cap. All of that and so much more. Just go to www.kingsize.life store. Check out whatever you like. Um, put whatever you want in your basket and then check out. I would recommend. It helps my pocketbook much more than you just checking it out. I'm just saying. What? Um, so yeah, that's www.kingsize.life store for anything to do with the styles. And now, on to the show. So how was my week? I know you're compelled to ask that it's because it was two weeks that I, I divulge a little bit about how that's been. Well, not really. I'm going to mainly focus on this week because nothing very, uh, nothing important or interesting of any sort happened in that first week except, um, you know, just uni started back up, so trying to motivate oneself to go to lectures and to look up seminars and essentially make use, you know, of the uh, the streaming service that I'm paying about 14,000 British pounds for, for an academic year. And that's essentially what I got on that. Not interested in speaking on it beyond that, actually. This previous week, though, uh, something happened that I've never experienced before, which was fascinating uh, and Quite scary at the time, but, you know, um, self-diagnosing to the extent that I'm able uh, proved that there was nothing fatal, nothing that's going to affect me long term in any way. But um, about four, four days ago, I woke up at about seven or eight in the morning. I'm a bit foggy on exactly when it was, but I woke up with... And, you know, the cold sweats, feeling extremely chilly on, like, my torso uh, from my gut upwards to the back of my neck. Felt very, very nauseous. And I had the most excruciating uh, stomach ache that I can recall ever having. Um... And my, my first instinct was, well, shit, what could this be? Uh, and shit is kind of the, the leading word there. 
because that's exactly what I, I imagined that that was what needed to occur. So I stumbled myself out of bed uh, and realized that the nausea meant that I felt also extremely weak. It was a, a very, very strange, a very concerning thing to wake up to. Um, I went and I tried to do my business and came to find there was, you know, there was no uh, no solid matter to uh, to my visit, if you will. So at this point, uh, I had essentially all the the earmarks that I needed to try and figure out what the fuck had just happened to me. And, um, you know, beyond spending the day walking to and from the bathroom <laughs> for obvious reasons, uh, I did some research and I came to find out that apparently I had managed to get food poisoning somehow. It was very interesting. I... I thought it would be a more elaborate process than it was, but then in reading up on the exact, like, what food poisoning truly is, I came to find, oh wow, so it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the meal that I ate yesterday. It could very well be any, like, it. you could start feeling symptoms anywhere between a couple hours and a week between the meal that you had eaten. So then the, the first day, I uh, didn't really eat much of anything. Uh, second day, uh, we were, well, rather we did try some takeouts here and there because I didn't want to go without any energy. So I did stuff my face and I managed to keep it down, but, uh, you know, it's lingering in my system to this day, some of it. But at this point, um, the, like, because it went from a, a horrible, horrible stomach ache the first night to just being kind of a very, like, queasy, like, I'm going to be sick kind of feeling. Like, I, I even had, uh, uh, I did go, like, I threw up, like, one morning. I think it was the first morning. And very uncomfortable <laughs> to just abruptly get that kind of ill and not really know any reasons. And I remember uh, distinctly, as, as I realized all these various things, I realized that I had watched a, a video by a fellow named Diamond Dallas Page, who's a pro wrestler, but also he is... A, uh, a fitness guru. Uh, I, I know this gentleman because I use his program quite a bit and intend to get better at it, and I'll explain why in due time. Uh, but he had put out a video where he explained some of the things about um, the symptoms that he experienced when he had COVID, which uh, one in particular, the whole cold sweats thing, he had said about how they needed like heat mats and stuff uh, because the person that had it was so overtly just freezing for no particular reason. Um, so there was, you know, the, the slight, slightest hint of, oh, fuck, is that what I got? But then there was also just like, this is very odd. Why has this occurred? What's the deal? Um, and trying to like replay everything that I had touched okay had i sanitized after had i been wearing masks when i was supposed to and to the best of my recollection i could it was yes i had been good about my whole sanitizing about wearing masks i i have no quarrels with wearing a mask i don't wear them really like out on public streets in between places but so long as i'm on someone's property or otherwise i definitely wear them not that i even have a quarrel with wearing them publicly it's just you know just how things work around here currently. So there was the, the half a second that I thought, oh shit, have I got that? Um, that's that's troublesome. Um, but then I also, I looked up the symptoms and I came to find that very few of the symptoms that I, I felt at the time lined up at all with what COVID was. And also I had, um, I've had a similar kind of, stomach ache before and I knew the reason why and it's like slight constipation of some description I I don't know how to explain it better than that where it's just like it feels like your rear is gonna explode on you it's a shitty feeling it keeps coming up as a word and I don't know if, I don't know how I feel about starting the episode talking so much about shit <laughs> speaking of shit the government's corrupt I know it what the fuck you want me to do? Go overthrow it. 
There's starving children everywhere you look. What the fuck you want me to do? I barely know how to cook. I don't see a way to make it Very apropos, and it's actually, it was, uh, it's a headline piece today. As I skip over to the next segment, because this is essentially what my entire week was, was just this whole trying to get better over the food poisoning thing. I'm essentially good now. There's the slightest hint of, like, feeling like you have this weird pit in your stomach. But beyond that, I'm completely fine. I'm up and walking. I went for a walk yesterday. I, I drink, I eat. There's no issue with me whatsoever. But then, from my massive digression then, um, headline piece about shit and about COVID, well, you know that it'll be the one exception that I talk about Donald Trump on this shit, don't you think? Because the headline piece is that motherfucker's tested positive for COVID, honey. And let, let me just uh, uh, contextualize this a little bit. When it comes to any show that I produce, generally speaking, uh, I try my damnedest to make sure that it has a, a positive vibe and as little to do with politics as possible. Just because we, we as a society, we're so concerned with politics and the negativity that it brings with it and the cynicism that we ultimately feel uh, towards it and otherwise in our lives. I try not to talk too much about that whilst I'm doing these because, you know, escapism and things of the sort. Maybe somebody feels a bit of escapism in listening to this and why would I then just toss them back into reality that the world is shit. I keep saying the word shit. That should be the title this week. But yeah, it's good news this week. Because if you're ever going to put such a detrimental and awful disease on anybody, why not put it on such a detrimental and awful person? And I, I don't really ever wish ill on anybody, but when you have... What, what did they say? I think they had counted that he has, in his presidency, he has like 22,000 lies and counting. About every single time he opens his mouth, there is a lie that comes out. Uh, to my to my knowledge, he's the only president that has ever had to take a cognitive test to make sure that he doesn't have dementia. Uh, and just in general, what a piece of shit human being. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, if you're a Trumpist, or a Trumpanzee rather, that's the term for you, and you listen to this, I'm sorry to be poo-pooing your leader. I'm, uh, well... Well, actually, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to apologize to absolutely fucking nobody for that. What a what a garbage human being to be following. And for a good while, I've had this thought that I want uh, in the year 2020, as shit as it has been, two things that can brighten it beyond what my engagement did, because that is just the happiest moment of my fucking life right there. But two other things that could help lighten the situation a bit is, and I said this for a while, it is if Trump got COVID and that on November 3rd, Trump is voted out of office in a landslide where you can't like where it's non-discussable. He's just going out. He's booted. He's done. Those are my two big wishes. And one of them came true. Go figure. So maybe the universe is with me. Can they be with me tonight for my lottery ticket numbers too, please? That would be amazing. So that that was nice. Oh, actually, um, something to mention about my week also. Um, PewDiePie. That's an interesting and an oddball uh, for me to throw in this because uh, let, let me also provide some context with this. I'm a Norwegian, right? And for the longest time, um, I, I do it much more in jest. There is no genuine feelings behind this so much as it is, you know, being goofy and funny and the, the relationship between Norwegians and Swedes. But Norwegians hate Swedes. They're stupid. The one good thing they have going for them is meatballs and the prices at their border. That's why Norwegians go to Sweden. That's about it. They have one, I'll say one minor, not minor, quite major thing, actually that is worth attention and it is you know felix Hjelberg or felix Hjelberg, which is the name of pewdiepie uh i don't want to mention him on his numbers and accolades in social media because he far and far away exceeds anything that i'll ever accomplish in my life when it comes to that i think i could aim for that and it would be fucking cool if that happened 
but he done he he done exercised that boy. Um, he posted a picture like with a very noir picture where there's a lot of shade and some lights that clearly showed off that Mance, Mance has done some gains. I wasn't pleased to see this because uh, let me contextualize then. Once again, Norwegians don't like Swedish people all that much. And so for me, a Norwegian, at this point, you know, raging right under the 90 kilo limit um, with a little bit of lab on the sides that I didn't have um, prior to the pandemic and seeing, you know, a Swede far end of the way doing better physically than I do. So I came to find I can't have that. I can't have that. So I've yesterday, right before bed, actually, I put together a new like uh, daily routine that I'm going to try and get into. It's not com it's not finalized just yet. Um, I'm working out some kinks and trying to make sure that I have everything in order. But man, has got to get fit, man, because I ain't about that life of having him exceed me it just he'll never know who the fuck i am he'll never give a shit but i ain't about that life of having a swede exceed me in every category of life no eh, no simple as that but bless him though bless him for you know using the pandemic for something productive which i i i did for a, a good long time and now i made it back over here and i feel like i've been not very productive, but it also shows in the website that I've been very productive there. So there's something to go off of. And speaking of the website, uh, that's over to segment three, isn't it? Yes. So for the website, there's some stuff going on. I will say there are new properties being created that does deal with uh, the, the Sigil Arts podcast network. The, the actual website itself in terms of Oh, you know, the, the blog section, I, I made a new post template just for general content, which I intend on using. I have more uh, content written in the back that I'm going to schedule and publish out. Um, but then for the podcast content, there has been an upswing in a lot of things because uh, Sigil Arts, for one, uh, we're going to start um, trialing and doing some live stuff, which uh, will be taking place on Twitch. And I'll, I'll give you the reason why it ended up on Twitch rather than YouTube. It is strictly because I can't stream with my phone on YouTube unless I have a thousand subs. Whereas with Twitch, you can do whatever the hell that you please. Twitch.tv slash Sigil Arts, which I managed to... Um, I established that a couple days ago, and the first show that's going to go up is actually very pertinent to this show. Uh, I got lucky. And it is its very own bonus show, which has a live bit, and it's called uh, I'll Drink to That. Now, that show is very much, much more informal than what this is, where I have like I have a bit of an agenda with several segments that I try and follow and stuff. I'll Drink to That will much more be a conversation where I sit down. I'll I'll have such as my Johnny Walker Red Label that is sitting right over there and looking dead tasty, but it's way too early in the morning um, or some beers, something or another. Um uh, possibly with another friend in the house, um, but primarily it'll be, you know, almost like a Q&A, almost like, uh, you know, just conversation with uh, the people that might be joining on the Twitch or wherever else, really. So it's, it's just an opportunity to be more talkative directly with people rather than just an anecdote like I'm doing now. So that's that's some of the developments. Also... Uh, I figured to tell you this. If you have stopped by the um, the videos section uh, in the latest bit of a while, you will see that um, there is changes ongoing. I'm still trying to work out how the entire like the the video like gallery and templating system will work uh, for this particular thing. But essentially, what's happening with the videos section is that I'm turning it into uh, a mock streaming service. Mainly because aesthetically they look very pleasing and it's, a, you know, kind of essentially similar to how YouTube would do it, how Netflix would do it, Amazon Prime does it, where it looks a certain way um, and it's very, like, enticing to click on things with custom thumbnails and, like, it gives me even more that I can do in terms of developing and setting up things um, for my own content. 
because that's essentially what the entire king sized up life platform is is that i get the chance to develop and put together content exactly the way that i please um i can even run ads on it i came to find which is awesome i just need to figure out how to uh, put it into effect <laughs> and make it work properly uh which all in due time that and also um i'm just gonna uh, back up a little bit we're working on a new system um for the podcasting posts which i, I can't tell you exactly when it'll be implemented because there's some discussion going with the developers about you know when when in particular that development can be achieved um still haven't heard back from them in a couple of days which pisses me off um but in due time uh we're streamlining it quite a bit so yeah, look forward to that i'll say so just to talk about a little recap of my interests as of the last uh, the last week or so an interesting one was obviously we got some more footage of the new upcoming Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity game, which, oh my gosh, <laughs> I saw like a 13 minute playthrough of how it looks. And while yes, it plays a lot similar or in a lot of ways similar to how the original Hyrule Warriors games played, there is seemingly so much more attention to trying to replicate the play style that was uh, Breath of the Wild. Which intrigues me, because you have now then you have the perfect dodge and you have all these abilities that the champions have, and you have it put in the aesthetic in seemingly the very same land that uh, Breath of the Wild took place in, but then right before the Calamity. Apparently, and from, from what I could tell, um, We'll actually get to see like Link pull the Master Sword for the very first time with all the champions in attendance. You actually see Impa as a young girl. She looks a lot like Paya, which if you don't know Paya, you should play Breath of the Wild and you'll find out who that is. But she looked so much like her that when I like, because <laughs> I scroll through these things and Nintendo had put up the post with her like key art and some screen caps of her. I just turned it to my fiance and I went, oh, look. You can play as Paya in the new Hyrule Warriors game. Didn't read the text at all, because images are way more interesting than text in my head. And then I looked at it a second time, and I went, about five minutes later, and I looked, oh, wait, no, that's not Paya, that's Impa. And, you know, was met with raging boos, because, <laughs> because I hadn't read the text. I wasn't informed. Shame on me. So I, I really enjoy these little snippets that they've given so far. Um, and... Uh, an interesting theory that I, I have uh, in relate well, not not even a theory. I think this is exactly how it's going to play out. Actually, is that if you have ever read the um, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, creating a champion book, in there, it actually explains the vast majority of the events prior to the calamity, which means more than likely, um, that's the narrative that we're going to see unfold in um, Age of Calamity. Which let me just bring out the book real quick yeah if you go to if you have the book and you go to the page uh 382 or 383 you'll have a lot about calamity again survival you'll have uh, the giant columns containing the guardians which we've seen in the trailers that those work uh you have the champion's downfall which you know is them returning to their ships only to be destroyed essentially uh on page 384 it shows like uh, oh, where's it say? It shows the escape routes of Link and Zelda and the surviving like soldiers from Hyrule Castle and downwards. There is a whole lot, a whole lot and a whole lot in that book that very much could come to be the truth in the game. Because obviously that's the events that it plays off of. If if this is anything but a prequel to Breath of the Wild, I think I'll be highly, highly frustrated, actually. <laughs> but uh, from the looks of it now, with how they have all the champions, uh, you see a lot of, like... Uh, you see their abilities, essentially, like, like they're given to Link um, in Breath of the Wild after the fact. 
you see links rise through the ranks very much like you did in Hyrule Warriors except um, like the original I mean um, but you see maybe a, a little bit more of the the story with how he came to be as he was and uh, an interesting notion that I had quite early with it is because you're getting so much of the story early and we have some context on Link prior to Breath of the Wild, he doesn't speak, as everybody knows. But there was a point in the... Um, uh, if you go to Zelda's study in Hyrule Castle in Breath of the Wild, you'll find that there is a reason for this. And it was... Once he realized the world was on his shoulders, that's really when he stopped talking, to kind of silently bear every burden. Um, and maybe, maybe just maybe, we'll get some sort of insight into that, which has me kind of, kind of excited, because Link is far and away my favorite protagonist in any game. And for obvious reasons, I've played Zelda games since I was six, and I'm now 27. What? No, hang on, since I was five. And now I'm 27. So, 22 years of playing them games. So, yeah. Right, and then from there, let me just um, dive really quickly into... Um, because I have more interests than just Nintendo. Oh, hang on. No, 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 no. I have another Nintendo story that I need to cover, which is... I think yesterday? I saw uh, Nintendo and the Super Smash Bros... Super Smash Bros. Uh, Facebook pages published a new uh, title. Not a new title, a new uh, character. So what you see is Mario. He is uh, fighting in essentially a free-for-all with various other characters, and Sonic kicks his ass off the stage. And so in what you assume would be that he flies off the screen like you typically do in a Smash game and then just gets destroyed... Rather than that, he flies through a, a, a dark brick wall into some sort of room. Inexplicably so. And slowly but surely you start to see like, oh wait, hang on, that cave wall he flew through, those were all blocks. Hmm. Curious. And then Mario pans over and looks at a particular wall. And you can clearly see the texture of stone from Minecraft. And then all of a sudden, a pickaxe starts picking away at a top block. And Steve, the avatar and protagonist in Minecraft, appears. So Steve and uh, a various bunch of the other characters of this Mojang slash Microsoft property are going to be in a Nintendo game. And uh, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it doesn't really surprise me, um, based on the fact that Microsoft and Nintendo actually have a partnership, where also, to my knowledge anyway, that apparently Xbox Live is launched to Nintendo Switch, or it will in the future. I read that somewhere. It's a while ago. But with that preconceived partnership, it's logical that they will then also... Uh, have access to characters such as Steve or, you know, the Minecraft universe as a whole. Was it a great character choice for this? I don't know. Honestly, I, I'm so far removed from most things to do with Smash myself beyond playing the game every so often and either kicking ass or having my ass handed to me uh, that... It, <laughs> I mean, I'm also very set in my ways when it comes to characters in Smash, so I have like three or four that I'll rotate between whenever I play, which whenever I play is about a month between times. Uh, if Steve will ever uh, jump into, or if he will ever be in my rotation, I doubt it. I'll have to see more of what he does and his abilities and stuff. But it's cool to see that, you know, the ultimate crossover game uh, can cross over into just about any universe. And so you can start jumping into, like, multiverse theories of, oh, shit. Now, Mario and Steve technically are part of the same multiverse. 
Um, and so is, you know, Donkey Kong, and you have Yoshi, and you have Link, and you have Zelda, and Ganondorf, and all the Fire Emblem characters, and then more of the Fire Emblem characters, and all the Pokemon, and all that, uh, and then all the Fire Emblem characters, obviously. So you have a, it's, it's an interesting uh, concoction of characters, and the prospects beyond this then, like, the, the one major question then that I've, I've seen this uh, routinely over and over again for many years now, actually, and it is the notion of getting Zora or Sora from Kingdom Hearts into the games, which I don't see why that wouldn't sit higher than Steve, honestly. I mean, M Minecraft, just on the scope of it, is probably a bigger title than Square Enix as a whole. Well, even if they have the Final Fantasies and the Kingdom Hearts of the world. But just on, you know, it's more more commonly known, the Minecraft thing. And so, is that a pull? Is it because there's third-party, like, uh, a third-party partnership, as far as I know, with Square Enix and Nintendo also. So they have, like, Final Fantasies and shit going up on Switch also. So it's strange. It's strange that you wouldn't then consider putting a, a Kingdom Hearts character in there, because you obviously you have Cloud in there. Why can't you have another one? I mean, just asking. On behalf of a community that I do not know, I've heard is toxic. Um, but beyond that, I have no quarrels with them. I mean, you do whatever you please, really. So yeah, uh, was it a good choice? Remains to be seen. Will Steve ever be part of my rotation of characters whenever I play? I doubt it. But we'll we'll see what we'll see what time brings on that one. Then Let's talk really quickly about uh, a, a little tidbit of some motorsports news that I've seen. There's two stories that I want to bring up this week. And it is one that uh, one uh, Sebastian Loeb, the uh, French phenom, uh, or the, the first coming of the French phenom, because you obviously have Sebastian Oshier here also. But Sebastian Loeb has uh, concluded his deal with Hyundai and it's now, once again, not in the WRC. It is so interesting Anytime that uh, Sebastian Loeb has come back to the WRC. He did with Citroen for a good long while, where he'd come in with the, the C3 WRC um, in, in a partnership, because he was working for a group PSA, which owns Peugeot, it owns Citroen, and I believe some other brands that I can't mention off the top of my head because I'm thinking WRC things. Um, because he was racing for Group PSA, um, he was largely part of the development of the the uh, or the C3 um, once it had been homologated, and he was given like events here and there, where it came to find out that the old man still is so at the top of his game that with a car that was widely considered as undrivable uh, in the field at the time, he went ahead and he won an event in that car in what I believe it was its first year. I don't even recall. It was um, you, early in development. You can obviously see that uh, uh, they, they were still working out the kinks on every one of the cars where the Toyota was still... Um, it was still very much a development project. It didn't sit right, it seemed like, when it was driving in the beginning. But that won the uh, the Rally of Sweden with Yari Mati Latvala uh, in only its second event. Which, you know, there's been other brands that have come in and won in only their second event. Uh, and that would be Volkswagen. I'm digressing, but I'll get back to the point uh, eventually. But the DS3 just... No, not the DS3. <laughs> the C3 WRC car uh, just kind of... It kept falling short on many levels, uh, ju just from the the various reviews and the fact that you had Chris Meek in there winning races, but then uh, doing much like his teacher did before him in Colin McRae, but it was either flat out or it was a crash on some circumstance. And even I remember it was, was it in Mexico first year or second year where 
Meek flew off into a parking lot on the power stage live for everybody to see and had to fuck <laughs> had to find his way back out and lost a bunch of time on that but still won the race though but but yeah the the C3 has been it was it was never never fast enough in the field with uh, such as the Hyundai and the Ford Fiesta when OGR was driving that or when no Noville at his peak uh, was driving in the Hyundai He's still very much at his peak, but he he keeps hitting bad luck, which is sad because I've been pinning Neuville to be a world champion for a while now. But then Sebastian comes in, a dude that hasn't raced. He he hadn't raced a WRC event to my recollection since 20, was it 13? Yes, because that's the first year that Ogier took the title. That was the last events that he raced. Uh, and so four years later, comes in with a car that is widely hailed as not up to par with what Citroen usually produces and also not up, you know, not up there with the rest of the field currently. And goes in and win. It just just flat out wins on a tarmac event. There was also a gravel event prior to that where he snatched the lead for a day. And it's like... And this guy, like, you couldn't not pick him up for something more long-term at the time. And apparently the opportunity to go to Hyundai and keep developing that car and, you know, taking on a new challenge outside the group PSA was more interesting to Lub or to Loeb, uh, two years ago. Now that contract's come to an end, and routinely you do see the Hyundai uh, is doing very well. Uh, if that is on the technical expertise of, Lo of Sebastian alone, I doubt. You also have a, a shitload of skilled drivers, and the Hyundai apparatus has been consistently great since, I would argue, 2014. Obviously working out the kinks of the car, but if you take uh, into consideration how the Hyundai team was uh, back when it was originally in the championship with the Accent WRC... Uh, up to now where it's in the i20 wrc and it's routinely fighting for wins and it's at the top there's the current world champion sits in hyundai that is that's become such a consistent team and probably just in thinking about it probably one of the more co like probably the most cohesive unit um I, I say that thinking also, obviously, with the whole, like, you have Tommy Mackinnon's uh, Toyota team. Which, obviously, that's another story, but we'll get to that. But yes, you can also credit a bunch of that to Sebastian Loeb and his technical expertise that the Hyundai team has done as well as it has. He is now moving on to, what's it called, Bahrain, like, Bahrain uh, Raid Extreme, which is, you know, Dakar and stuff of the sort. And he's driving for ProDrive. Which, you know, that's cool. There's There's been a lot of World Rally champions that have driven those. I think it was 10. 10 different champions. I can't name them. But 10 different world champions from various eras have driven pro-drive cars at one point or another. Including Petter Solberg. Which retired from top-level competition last year. Uh, my favorite driver of all time, may I add. Not just because he's Norwegian, but because he's a fantastic human being and a fantastic driver. Um, but it came out on the site uh, Planet Marcus. Uh, that's where I first saw it anyway. Was that Petter Solberg is returning to WRC. And for the first time, he is in a world rally car of the current generation. Uh, he's been like uh, delving into R5s the last couple of years where he's been with Volkswagen and developing that because he had the whole deal with Volkswagen and World RX and stuff. Uh, and his last event was a win in the Volkswagen Polo R5. But anyway, this time he's going to be in said Citroen C3 WRC and his co-driver is the official test pilot for Pirelli for the new tire for next year, Andreas Mikkelsen. And now, obviously... My first thought when I saw this was, this is a joke, this is bullshit, what? Then I looked more into it and I came to find, oh, okay, so the it is mainly uh, for promotional purposes for Pirelli, where, 
Andreas Mikkelsen is going to take guests uh, out on the shakedown stage on the first day, and then on the Sunday, the final stage, the power stage. Uh, Petter is going to drive with Andreas Mikkelsen as the co-driver. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to follow the event specifically for any other purpose than just that, that I want to see Petter Solberg racing uh, that C3 and see what the quote-unquote old man can do there, because clearly old men with a lot of world championships uh, behind them can still win rallies. I don't think he... <laughs> yeah, I th impossibly so. He can't win the race off of just competing one stage. They're not officially in the thing. Obviously. But who knows, right? Who knows what it may hold for Petter down the line. Obviously, he has cultivated a great partnership with Pirelli over the years um, to, you know, for them to trust him with testing the new tire for the public to see in a competitive field. And with the test driver, the official test driver for Pirelli in the co-driver's seat. He's going to be scared shitless, I reckon. <laughs> Uh, so I look forward to that. Uh, I'm making a mention also of uh, there's been some changes with the Toyota lineup, which is that uh, Tommy Mackinnon is going to be the motorsports uh, president of Toyota, which means um, because currently he's obviously the CEO of his own team, which is Tommy Mackinnon Rally Oi, I believe it's called. But now... The, the very head honcho of Toyota has gone in and said, no, I want, uh, I trust in Tommy to tell me what to do with my money for motorsports. Um, and so that's what Tommy Mackinnon is going to do from January 1st. And that means that Toyota is fully going to be in control of the Toyota Gazoo Racing World Rally Team uh, come January. Rather than what it's been, where... Tommy built the cars in Finland initially, and they have run the team out of a shop in Finland and made made a success out of that. They took the uh, the manufacturer's title two years ago, and then they took the world title last year for drivers with uh, Oitanic. So that's become a very successful entity in the return uh, of Toyota after 20 years away or so. Mad. Mad, and... All, all the marbles to Tommy and the team up in Finland for that. He's moving on to new challenges, which I saw a press release somewhere that he was excited for that, which I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with that, even if obviously my eyes are still peeled, mainly on the World Rally Championship. That was a longer motorsport segment than I anticipated because I just kept kept thinking about things whilst I was recording. Um, lastly, let's talk a little bit about pro wrestling. So a, a big, if I will, I'm going to say a key story that obviously catches my attention because it's my current um, favorite pro wrestler in the world. It's obviously that uh, Cody Rhodes returned after about a month away, where he he lost in genuinely shocking fashion. Uh, he lost the TNT title to uh, Mr. Brody Lee in about three minutes and was gone off of television for a good long while on, you know, an... <sighs> A undisclosed injury, uh, physical one, that kept him out. But then obviously he was also, he got a call from Hollywood, which was called the Go Big Show, which, you know, is an apropos title because he's wrestled the Big Show a couple times, but that had nothing to do with it. It's another TBS show. So he was gone out for a month, and then he came back, and... While I t this was a pet peeve of mine with Cody's entrance for a long while was that nothing lined up. You had this weird music that he had playing in the beginning. Uh, not weird, but this very uh, ethereal and uh, a very like, uh, oh, this is a, a once in a lifetime athlete kind of music. 
I've like similar to what Conor McGregor would come out to. Just like it sets a different tone than the very upbeat things like uh, like Ronda Rousey would do. Finally, they made that sync up with his actual entrance theme, which is Kingdom by Downstate. Finally, because it took him so long to make that work right. And then obviously they also made the pyro work and they it, it pleased me greatly to see that these things were syncing up from a production standpoint and that he was given time rather than, oh, he has to go up at this one particular time when the lift goes up and everything. I, I very much enjoyed it. What's what was interesting also was I looked at uh, him coming out because now he's changed his hair color again. So he is back to Jet Black, which he debuted with many, many moons ago. And in a, a full on dark suit, he looked very much like he would be an advocate, an advocate for a, a, a goth sector cult of some reason or some description even. And seemed a bit, you know, meaner and a bit more like he had some some sadistic tendencies, the, some more of them than what he had previously. One thing that I looked at and I thought, well, hmm, I've been so used to seeing Cody with blonde hair now for three years. Because he debuted that look while he was still Ring of Honor champion, which I think was back in 2017. I don't recall, quite honestly, but I've, I've kept up with his career long enough to know it's been like two or three years that he's had the, the bleach blonde. Uh, so I saw him with that and I thought, wow, you, like 10 years of you working in the ring seemingly just fell off you with that. And also the suit seems to be a very much a tight fit because I couldn't see none of his gains. I mean, damn. Like, he, he looked... And bless him, I'm not judging him on physicality here because he's a great wrestler and he has, you know, he's done a lot in terms of physical activity in the latest or in the last couple of years. But I looked at him and I went, wow, did you lean out? Did you become smaller? And I think that's, I think when you put him up against a behemoth like uh, a Brody Lee and you put him in just skin tight suits and stuff, like obviously he'll, he'll look smaller. And it also paints the picture of a David versus Goliath thing for this dog collar match that's coming up next week. But to uh, to conclude on it, I uh, I appreciated seeing him back. Uh, I don't know how exactly to feel about it, though. the The promo that he cut yesterday, not yesterday on Wednesday, um, it, intriguing as it is, he he plays well with words. And I, I look forward to seeing what other changes he might have made to his presentation come next week when he does the um, uh, when he does the match. Because he's been out of the ring for a month and I've also he he was on a live stream once. He said that he uh, wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily permanent that he wasn't the tights that he's been in since uh, debuting on the indies. So maybe. Because apparently Dusty had told him once that that was uh, the gear of jobbers. So, and you listen to what Daddy says, even if, you know, he is he has looked and played well in that gear, and, you know, built built himself to something completely different than what the the sourpuss taste that you got from Stardust at the end of his WWE tenure. Uh, I'm not going to mention WWE beyond that. Too much shit going on. Uh, too much nonsense. Ooh, one mention, though, uh, is um, had a brief exchange with the former superstar Ryback, didn't I? I did. It was very, very brief, though. He had posted something about how us smart marks uh, or, you know, wrestling fans uh, will read a dirt sheet and, there, and uh, abruptly thereafter go and criticize and take it out personally to somebody on Twitter from what they've just read from an, a, a source based on conjecture. Something like that. And I, I responded back to him very politely. I'm, I meant every word of it, is that the pro wrestling fan isn't a pro wrestling fan anymore. They're experts. They, they are enabled a lot by things like the dirt sheets and by feeling like they are kind of behind the curtain on many levels. But they we know nothing. 
like we're basing a lot of what we're saying off of what we've seen sure uh but a, a dirt sheet is conjecture because there isn't like you think about this for a second in any other media institution your source if you want it to be valid information is someone that can be credited for their information whereas with dirt sheets you have very much the case that the source is a someone a little bird in the company that is giving little bits of information to uh, reporters or journalists such as a Dave Meltzer and a Mike Johnson and guys of the sort which it can't be backed up anywhere you can't take any of it as fact and when you like routinely you'll see stories about how oh Vince McMahon is mad about this this week uh stuff of the sort it's yeah it bugs me on the level that obviously I'm I'm studying this stuff now and I know that you like if you if you can't cite a reference for what you are writing then you shouldn't write it because then it's just conjecture you're assuming and assumption can lead to mistakes and it can lead to souring relationships and it can lead to a, a lot of things just because you have to say something rather than sticking to your guns and having valid reporting every time uh, and the prime example of such a thing is a, a guy that's gone kind of outside the loop of the dirt sheets and that's chris van Liet. you know why his uh, why he is taken off primarily it's on the basis that he actually talks to the to the people in question he has like hour-long interviews with the pro wrestlers be it in wwe or aew or anywhere around that industry talks to him directly and the material is right there for you to consume rather than him you know editing it down and making it a certain narrative it is a clean cut thing from start to finish no edits in between and what you get then is obviously factual on every on every level because it comes straight from the source rather than coming from oh a reliable source that is then tweeted by this and that and the other account on twitter and therefore is information that then feeds things such as bless them i love them but it feeds things such as wrestle talk it feeds cultaholic it feeds all these other pages that i've started doing exclusives and started doing their own digging to get the information and relying less on sources and other third-party things they're starting to make their own things and that's appreciative or i'm appreciating that but um the the content of dirt sheets and just wrestling media in general is what has enabled the wrestling fan to rather than you know cheering the baby face and booing the heel we now both like we now know all of these terms because it's come from an inside source and has come from you know podcasters such as the jim cornets and the jim ross of the world where the the terminology is used and therefore ooh, i'm part of the inside crowd now because i know these terms okay i can use them no don't be stupid you <laughs> this is such a weird tangent but the, uh, it's it's based in the fact that we the the fandom around wrestling has become so much more uh, we are there critiquing what we're seeing right in front of us rather than taking in the experience and appreciating what's put in front of us like it's it's just the doftest thing when you have guys like what's his name jack the jobber or jack king i don't remember his fucking name but the one of the guys on cultaholic when that guy bless him he can't be mindful in saying this i know full well and i'm not dissing him on how he looks physically or how he um you know how he presents himself in any way but when somebody like him which just he looks bored from top to bottom and he's gonna stand there and he's going to talk about someone's work rate or how they've structured the match wrong or he's going to judge it to a five-star rating system because he's seen dave Meltzer do it i'm sorry to single out jack here if he ever listens to it i'm sorry but you're just kind of the prime example of why i don't like 
the, the, the pro wrestling fan, just as it sits. I'm, I've played party to it for many years until I, it, it just became too much, uh, just on account that I, this is something that's being put in front of me to either like or dislike, but why do I have to critique it? What value do I add to that by then presenting my opinion on whether that body slam was nice or whether the triple backflip with a 360 to land flat on your ass on a flaming table, whether that was a spot worthy of the match or not, that's not for me to decide. I can decide whether I liked or disliked something. That's cool. But why I, who have no experience taking bumps except when I slip on ice or banana peels or whatever the fuck I find on the ground to slip on, there is no particular reason I need to critique what these people are doing. Because when you critique something, you can't constructively add anything because you're not a pro wrestler. You can't... It'll all just spin into being generally negative things. When you like or dislike something, simple enough. You don't need to dive any further into it than that. Did you like the match? Yes. Cool. Would you like... like would you recommend it further to someone? Yes. Or rather... Did you like this match? No, I didn't like it because they were working so slow. It was all rest holes and the baby face was working over the heel the wrong way. The heel was working from down low, blah, 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 blah. Shut up. Like, it's... <sighs> this is why I prefer wrestle talk on many an occasion because it's not really critique so much as it is observations. And their personal opinions of whether they liked or disliked something. It isn't going into, oh, they worked too slow. They did this, they did that. Nothing like that, which I've seen other places do, where it's, it's frustrating. And I can totally get behind things like what uh, Ryback said then, who then also then tweeted me back after and said thank you because I had a valid point. But also the point of one Frankie Kasarian, uh, part of SCU and pro wrestler extraordinaire, who said that he misses the time when fans were fans. Because we're not anymore. We've jumped so far into the rabbit hole of being critics. And, you know, uh, this need... This entitled need to have an opinion on everything that happens in a squared circle or around it. It's to our detriment. We're just taking enjoyment out of this product that we consume so much of anyway. Which, I, I just, at one point I had to stop doing that. I'm much more, uh, I, I don't remember exactly when, but I think it was around in the time uh, of All In. Where I... <laughs> I kind of just to myself, I decided that's, I'm not uh, using the terms. I'm not ever uh, going into and critiquing matches. I'm never putting out like match reviews or full on pay-per-view reviews on the website on account of one thing. And it is that I can't criticize with any validity what they've done in the ring anyway. And also I opted to do more of a kayfabe stance to how um, when people, like, when the companies are building matches and stuff, I, I much more prefer to be part of the kayfabe portion, much more so than sitting there like, uh, oh, well, you know, Reigns is gonna win, what, it's a lost cause, blah, blah, blah. It's like, instead, ooh, you know, I, I sure hope you do well in that match, pal. Good luck. Much rather than, oh, you're a lost cause, this match is shit, before this, it's even started. It's useless. Like, you're ru you're ruining the enjoyment for yourself and having to be so critical on a, a level and a thing that you know essentially nothing about. Unless you go to a wrestling school, unless you go have a match, unless you go and experience and you get to live that thing, you have no valid ground on which to stand and base judgments such as that. It's the same as... um. Uh, uh, there's this one song that uh, Wax, the guy that does Home is Where the Bar is, the title track for this podcast. Um, it's, it's called No Smoking in the House, on which there he has a line that is that. Like, tell, uh, tell a critic write a song, tell a blogger to perform it live. They'd have better luck playing Frogger on the 405. Because that's... It's essentially it. There is... 
we can all sit here and have opinions, but we can't criticize because we can't do it. Oh, we can, but that's when you have validity, not any sooner. And that is a 20-minute tangent on why pro wrestling fans aren't pro wrestling fans anymore. They are quote-unquote experts. Wow. I don't know how much of that I'm going to keep, but uh, screw it. Well, I didn't send anyone happy or send anyone home happy with this episode. I doubt anyway. If any pro wrestling fans listen to this and feel uh, offended, if Jack the Jobber listened to it and feels offended, my humble, humble apologies for having an opinion that doesn't line up with yours. And with that, I'd like to send you all home. Uh, let Well, as the pro wrestling lingo would have it, let's go home, folks. Um, so thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of I Got Lucky. I'll try and put another one out next week. I can't. I, I said that last time, too. But, well, let's see what happens next Friday. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please be sure to leave a review, whether one to five stars. I'll know you are a pro wrestling expert if you put a one star. Um, that's on Apple Podcast. If also the whatever platform you use has a rating system or review system, please be sure to leave a review there. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter. It's um, twitter.com slash I-G-L-W-K-E. Or you can find it on the website, which is www.kingsize.life slash podcasts. Um, obviously, you can also check out the aforementioned Sigil Arts uh, live stream platform, which you'll find on twitch.tv slash Sigil Arts, on which... There is the chance there might be uh, a show of I'll Drink to That, the new bonus show for I Got Lucky, coming out very soon. We will uh, discuss and arrange that as we get there. Um, in the meantime, there's also plenty other content you can check out from the rest of the network. You have uh, Dark Matters with Glitter, which I know there is a next episode in the works. I don't know exactly when it's coming out. I hope soon. Uh, Tuesdays, you have you have you have failed with Say Invader which recently uh, jumped up and did its second season, or the first episode of its second season. Uh, I was on that episode. We were discussing the amphibious ninja of Frog Ninja, which I also then mentioned in the intro of this, that obviously you can get the new Church of Frog Ninja shirt as relates to that episode. Wednesdays, you have And Finally. And Finally is really kicking up in terms of listens, and it's doing the best averages on out of any given show on our network, and that is fascinating for a show that's only been running for... About two, three months? Mad. Quite honestly, mad. Uh, Thursdays, you have our buddy Edo Ninja and uh, Crunch, which do their wonderful show Storm Connect. Uh, their last episode was... What was their last episode? It was on Ruby. Uh, and prior to that, uh, he, he also took a detour and he talked about Apple's competence during the pandemic. Then obviously Fridays, uh, we're going to see if we can get... Uh, mornings, which is a Norwegian show. Uh, I'm going to see if I can get that up uh, by next week. And then just a, a, a little thing. A little thing that I neglect to mention anything about in this show. And it is that post-editing uh, this show, um, I'm going to be doing research to revisit an old friend of the uh, Sigil Arts Network, which you've seen lay dormant for about two years. It's had no no action, no no nothing for two years beyond the occasional branding change. And it is, my intention is to relaunch Social Doozy tomorrow. And we'll see exactly what that ends up being. Uh, it'll be on kind of a monthly rota for now because we have a lot of other shows that will be interesting to do on Saturdays and weekends. But yeah, that's a little announcement to go with this too. So I hope you look forward to that. And in the meantime, I'll catch your ass next week. Bye-bye, everybody. The wrong doctor, I swear they treat you just like family. Started. Go all of our